Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs. On Monday night, we hosted a telephone town hall meeting regarding the COVID-19 crisis and how it affects rural Missouri. Our president, Blake Hurst, hosted the call, and he was joined by some special guests, Dr. Randall Williams, who's the director of the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, Chris Chen, who's the director of the Missouri Department of Agriculture, and Ernie Versois, who is the president and CEO of MFA Incorporated. We also heard from Spencer Tuma, our director of national legislative programs, who told us more about what is going on with the legislation that Congress passed a week or two ago to help with recovery. We are going to bring that to you in our podcast today for those of you who weren't able to join the call. Hope you get something useful out of it, and uh, we'll try to keep you up to date as things develop. This is Blake Hurst, uh, President of Missouri Farm Bureau, and we'd like to thank all of you for joining our call. Uh, we're trying to do this as a service, a chance for you to hear some folks that are dealing with uh, with our situation on the front lines. Uh, we have three speakers, and uh, we'll ask each of them to uh, say a few words, and after they, each of them are finished, uh, we'll, we'll open it up for questions for that speaker, uh, but we would uh, ask you to... Uh, Press zero if you have a question for the speaker, and then uh, when they are done uh, and your questions of them are, are finished, we're going to have uh, Spencer Tuma from our staff talk about some of the federal response to the to the pandemic, and uh, obviously we'll open it up for any questions you might have on any topic. So uh, I would like at this time to introduce our uh, first speaker, uh, who's the Director of Department of Health and Senior Services. Uh, Dr. Randall Williams, and those of you that have had uh, the opportunity to watch Governor Parsons' um, press conferences throughout throughout this event, you've had a chance to meet Dr. Williams, and uh, we just ask him to kind of give us an update on uh, where we are in the state of Missouri with this uh, pandemic. So, Dr. Williams, thank you very much uh, for joining us this evening, and we certainly look forward to your comments. Well, thank you for inviting me, and thank you for what you're doing. Obviously. Uh, food supply is a huge issue uh, for people, and so we just greatly appreciate uh, everything you're doing to uh, reassure people. Uh, the first case in the United States was on January 21st, and we stood up our incident management team on January 27th and have met every day since then. So we've been at this for about uh, two and a half months. Uh, what we see in Missouri uh is uh, in some ways reflective of what we see in the country, which is to date this has largely been an urban metropolitan disease in places like New York and Seattle and Chicago and Detroit and New Orleans. Certainly see cases in our rural areas, but you've got to remember that of our almost 3,000 cases, half of them are in two counties, St. Louis and St. Louis City as we count it, and then St. Charles and Jefferson. So we very much uh, concentrated our resources there. Our strategy is very much geared towards social distancing. The governor uh, issued an executive order uh, several weeks ago and uh, then followed that up with another order on Friday. And also testing. We've been very strategic. We've done more testing than any other state in our area except for Tennessee, including Illinois per capita. So that has enabled us to see where the disease is. And and right now we're very much focused on, on maintaining a surge capacity. Uh, we don't know, but based on our best modeling, uh, our hope is, is that we will see some daylight in about two weeks, three weeks, that we will see uh, getting to the other side. We're seeing uh, our numbers still increase, but not drastically. Uh, we've done over 30,000 tests. Uh, and the good news is, is that for the first time in three weeks today, I get the call every day of my life. And today we had no positives uh, for our state lab, which is done in real time. So that reflects people who got tested yesterday or, or Saturday. Uh, and uh, uh, the flu season is is, is practically over about uh, 10 days early. So that's incredibly important uh, because now if you're walking around and you have a fever and a cough, you probably don't have the flu, so what do you have? Well, you may have pneumonia, but you also may have COVID-19. And so we're hoping with warmer weather and less flu, uh, increasing our bed capacity, 
We have 2,000 ventilators in Missouri, and we check it every day. And this morning we had 1,100 available. Uh, we have uh, uh, enough ICU capacity. But on the other hand, we know this is a tough disease. There's just no doubt about it. I talk to doctors every day. And uh, for those people who get sick and end up on a ventilator, uh, they get really sick. Um, and for other people who don't end up on a ventilator, they end up staying in the hospital about 12 days based on some research out of Seattle. So we really don't want anybody getting this disease. So when the governor says, you know, social distance and stay at home, we really mean it because uh, the more we learn about it, only 1.7% of cases have been in people less than age 18. So we're thankful that it does not attack pregnant women or children like H1N1 did in 2009 that I lived through as an obstetrician practicing, but uh, on the other hand, uh, for uh, people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, it is a very tough disease. An uh, article came out uh, this weekend that it, basically, it not only does it attack the lungs, but we appear, it appears to attack the heart directly, which is really unusual. We're seeing a higher incidence of heart attacks. Um, so with that said, uh, we think uh, we're ahead of this compared to other places, uh, but we really think the next two to three weeks will tell the tale and that uh, if people social distance and who become symptomatic, isolate, uh, uh, I think we'll be in a good place. But on the other hand, there's nobody who would argue that if people don't, if they just treat life like it's normal, it's twice as infectious as the flu. And so uh, left to its own design, in, in, in populations that are close together, there's no doubt it spreads. So I'll stop there and, and turn it over to those speakers and I'm glad to answer any questions I can at any time. But again, just so appreciate everything y'all are doing. Well, thank you very much. It sounds uh, 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 scary but optimistic, I guess, is how I would, uh, would describe your comments. If you have a question uh, for Dr. Williams, uh, please press zero, and we have uh, call screeners available, and we'll get that question uh, to Dr. W Williams. Do we have any questions? All right. Well, I think he'll be on the call for a few minutes, and if there are any questions you think of uh, as we as we go through the other speakers, please, uh, please, I'm sure he'll be glad to answer them. Again, thank you for being with us, Dr. Williams, and uh, giving us. Uh, the up to the minute update. Our next speaker is uh, Director of the Department of Agriculture, no stranger uh, to Farm Bureau members, uh, Chris Chin, and we're glad Chris is here and proud of what she's doing uh, for our industry as we go through this time. So, Chris, uh, we'd be glad to have any comments you might have. Well, thanks, Blake. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with your members tonight. Um, as we know, every segment of agriculture has felt the tremendous impact of COVID-19. Um, we've all seen our markets drop. We've seen the impact in the grocery stores, um, the supply, and trying to meet the increased demand that we're having for people wanting to eat at home. Um, we've had a busy few weeks here at the Department of Agriculture trying to um, help survey everybody to find out what challenges they're seeing on the front lines, um, but also trying to make sure that any regulatory efforts that we have here at the department that we can help ease that burden that's been on the agriculture community. So on March the 24th, we did clarify that agriculture from farm to fork is essential. So we got that essential business designation. There is a lot of confusion and concern when the governor did his first social distancing order that agriculture was not going to be allowed to continue to operate. And so with the help of Dr. Williams and his team at the Department of Health, we were able to get that uh, clarified and get that designation from the governor. And the stay-at-home order that he issued on Saturday or Friday went into effect today. And we knew that with Governor Parson being a farmer himself, that he would understand the priority that agriculture needed in this event to make sure that we could keep food on everyone's plate. The new order that he did announce on Friday did adopt the U.S. Department of Homeland Security list of essential infrastructure workers as well. Um, so that kind of, it goes into addition to what Dr. Williams and I and the governor worked on on March 24th. 
So this added further protection for agriculture and our employees in agriculture. At this time, you don't need to have any documents or provide letters to your team members. However, we have provided sample letters on our website in the event that it would help you in any way. Um, and so we have also sent out information to all the law enforcement officials throughout the state of Missouri about what this designation means, um, who is considered critical infrastructure. So they should be aware of it, but um, if people want to download the letter from our website and provide it to their employees, it's there, but it's not mandatory at this time. We heard from a lot of farmers and ranchers all across the state about transportation waivers and the need to be able to get product moved, especially as we started to have fewer people able to drive trucks if they should become ill with COVID-19. So we worked very closely with MoDOT, and they announced a free permit for loads up to 100,000 pounds on all Missouri highways, including the interstates. It was for livestock, poultry, feed, and fuels. Um, the only required documentation you need for that is to have your bill of lading and a copy of the special permit that you can get from modot.org backslash MCS. Um, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration also waived their hours of service restrictions for livestock, ethanol, feed, and fertilizer. Um, and that was quite the undertaking. Uh, Director McKenna at MoDOT worked a lot of hours to get that to happen. Um, it, it required him to get a lot of support from other states as well. So we really appreciated all the work he did on that as well. Um, milk markets. That's been a hot topic since Saturday here at the department. We spent the majority of our weekend trying to find out what was actually happening in the milk industry, why farmers were being asked to dump their milk when there were limits on what you could purchase at the grocery store. So we've worked with the state milk board and we are reaching out to grocery retailers to ask them to stop limiting sales per customer um, because what we're hearing from the processors in the state of Missouri is that they have enough milk, that it's not a supply problem. Um, I reached out to the grocery stores in my local community um, up in the northeast part of the state to see what they were hearing, why they were limiting milk sales, and it was their understanding they weren't able to get additional supplies. They weren't able to get additional trucks. Um, so we found out who their processor was, and Gene Wiseman with the State Milk Board reached out to them, and he got that problem corrected. So we are going to be sending our letter. Um, it went out tonight to um, as many people as we could send it to that we had email addresses for. But we're also working with Dan Shaw and the Missouri Grocers Association, and he's going to be sending it to his members as well. Um, we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to help our dairy farmers at this time, and that was a, a communication error that I think hopefully we can get resolved to help the dairy industry. Uh, our protein markets, while we don't regulate the market pricing, USDA is asking all of the states to provide feedback, and we are doing our part. We're letting them know what we're seeing. Um, we also know that during this time, market information has never been more important than it is now. So our market news team will continue to report at our markets across the state as sales are, are being held. Um, you guys have all probably heard in the news in the last couple days about <clears throat> some of the processors with protein, and they are shutting down a few of them due to COVID-19. So Tyson had a plant up in Columbus Junction, Iowa, that has shut down today because they had about a dozen team members that tested positive. They have been doing screening, as have all the processors of their employees before they go to work for temperature. They ask them the questions about have they been sick, have they been feeling um, ill, have they been around anybody who has COVID-19. So they're doing everything that they can to prevent sick people from entering their plants. Um, National Beef Packing Company up in Tama, Iowa, um, they have closed down this week for cleaning. This was a scheduled cleaning that they were going to be doing later in the month, but they have moved it up. Um, we have not heard why at all from them, um, but they are also taking temperatures of their employees. We just learned um, a few minutes ago before this call that JBS has had a beef packing facility in Greeley, Colorado, have some employees test positive, as has a JBS plant in Grand Island, Nebraska. They have 10 cases with their employees as well. So. We are starting to see that impact those facilities. Um, it's too early for us to tell how long they might be closed down if they're just going to be slowed down because they have fewer team members able to work. We're not real clear on that yet. 
Um, the information that we have been hearing on the Tyson side is that it was just a, a few days that they plan to be down. Um, so we hope that that holds true. Right now on, on the hog processing side, Tyson has diverted all of the hogs that they were going to be processing in Columbus Junction to other Tyson processing facilities nearby. So it sounds like they're still taking those animals. Um, but as far as the beef side, we have not heard any information on that yet at all. Um, regulatory flexibility, our pesticide licensing was an issue that came to our, our thoughts immediately when this COVID-19 um, social distancing order came about. People whose recertification expires during this COVID-19 response will be able to renew their license without recertification training. But that only applies to the commercial applicators, the non-commercial applicators, and the public operators. For our private applicators, who would be our farmers, they can receive certification or recertification one of two ways. They can complete a virtual training with an MU Extension field agronomy specialist or they can complete a 25-question study guide if they have weak internet connectivity. Um, the MU portion is online, um, but we wanted to make sure that we had another option for people who did not have internet access. The good news is we are starting to hear of some farmers getting close to being able to work in the fields again, and that feels a little more normal in this uncertain time. Um, but we continue to be looking out for our farmers and ranchers, making sure that their employees are safe, that they have all the tools they need to continue to operate during this uncertain time in agriculture. Um, we wish we could fix all the market problems that we're all seeing right now. Unfortunately, that's beyond our power here at the department. Um, but we would like everybody to know if you have a problem or you, you think there's an issue out there we may not be aware of, we encourage you to reach out to us because the Department of Agriculture is open for business. We do have quite a few of our team members working from home right now um, to obey the social distancing order ourselves. Um, it's been a new way to work for us, a different way to work, um, and we're adjusting, but we're here to serve the people of Missouri just the same. So if you need anything, please call us. Our number is 573-751-4211, or you can send us an email at aginfo at mda.mo.gov. So with that, Blake, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to try and answer them. Chris, again, I would remind our listeners to dial zero if they have a question. I do have one, and, and I uh, should have should have said you know beforehand. Uh, for those of us that live uh, close to the border, what are you what are you hearing from neighboring states as far as transporting agriculture grows? In other words, in my case, in Iowa or Nebraska. So we have not heard from any other state close to us that you have to have any special certification to come or go, but that is another reason why we have our letter available on our website for people who are going to be crossing state lines, that they can send that with their employees, letting them know that they're critical infrastructure by the Department of Homeland Security. Um, so that's, that's another reason we have that letter there. But at this time, we have not been informed of any neighboring states that are, are requiring special documentation to cross the border. I All do right, know, thank you. We, yeah, I do know, I have heard, though, that Kentucky, I guess they do kind of touch us, we have heard unofficially that they are requiring anybody who comes into their state to have a 14-day quarantine if they're staying. I don't think that's for pass-through, but I think if they plan to stay, they've got to be quarantined for 14 days. But that's the only thing we've heard of so far, Blake. All right. Thank you very much. Any other questions for Chris from the audience? And, uh, we'll certainly have time at the end of uh, Ernie's remarks if there are questions as well. All right, we'll turn to uh, the uh, president and CEO of MFA, Ernie Versluz, and we ask Ernie to talk a little bit about just ag supply and what he's seeing in, in their uh, numerous locations across the state. Ernie? Thanks, Blake, and good evening, everybody. And, you know, as, as I start out my comments tonight, uh, you know, we've all got challenges associated with this, but, you know, when you look at the ag retail space, probably the, the two biggest challenges we have both relate to people whether that's the employees we have or the customers uh, that we serve. And, you know, from an employee standpoint, um, you know, we have to have care for their health. And, the, you know, so their health and safety is going to drive many of the decisions we make as, a, as an organization. 
when this was coming on, you know, 30 days ago, 45 days ago, <clears throat> you know, we didn't make all these changes at once. We kind of did the, the slowly eased into it. But what I would tell you is probably about the middle of March, March 12th, uh, we did maybe a soft close, especially in the home office here. You know, we closed it, uh, no visitors allowed to come in. We took about half of our staff in the home office and, and asked them to to remote uh, work remotely if they could do that. And then we also eliminated any in-person meetings between the home office and field personnel. I think Dr. Williams said earlier that uh, the metropolitan or urban areas are the, are the biggest uh, risk, and we didn't want to take the risk of uh, us Moving that from, from Boone County or Columbia, Missouri, out to all areas of the state. Uh, yeah, I will admit, though, I did not convince my board of directors that uh, they shouldn't come in here March 18th for a board meeting. Uh, at that point, I think they were still pretty comfortable uh, that they were okay. You know, if you jump ahead about a week, <clears throat> excuse me, things changed, and uh, we did uh, more... We sent more workers home here out of the home office, and we're probably down to about 25 or 30 percent of the employees coming into the home office. Uh, ironically, probably the biggest percentage of those are the, in the accounting area that have some day-to-day -day activities that they have to have to do in here. But the rest of the trade area, whether that's our retail stores or plant foods terminals or warehouses, you know, we ask them to lock the doors, and uh, we also ask employees to be careful where they went and who they were around outside the workplace so they didn't bring something back uh, to one of our facilities. We also have a sales staff that uh, travels the area. You know, we ask that they not travel between locations. And, you know, there, there are instances out there where producers still wanted face-to-face -face, uh, contact. So if that sales um, staff was comfortable doing that and they, and they respected the social distancing uh, rules, uh, we allowed them to, to, to do that. <clears throat> You know, from a customer standpoint, uh, that may have been the, the toughest group to deal with. Uh, you know, some of the decisions we made obviously upset some of the customers. Uh, they weren't easy decisions, but, but they were the right ones. And I know I was asked to, to be on this call, but, you know, MFA wasn't alone in the state of Missouri. There were many other ag businesses throughout the state uh, that took some of the same steps and same measures we did and for some of the same reasons, whether that's ethanol plants, the grain terminals, other cooperatives or independent ag businesses out there. You know, I can say we have, we've actually had a few uh, customers walk off upset because uh, we wouldn't allow them into the store. But, you know, if we don't do this or do our part to protect employees, you know, we may not be there for when the customers really need us. And if we look at some of the toughest jobs we have to fill, at least for MFA, and I think, again, many other ag businesses would be in this same uh, boat, be truck drivers and navigators, you, you know, it takes time to fill these positions. It takes time to training, train them. And with spring season on us right now, whether that's planting, fertilizer, or calving, we we only have a short window of opportunity to uh, to get work done. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure our employees are available for that. And we've been successful to this point. You know, any anything like this, if you want to get through it, it all comes down to communication. Uh, you know, we can all say ag is a relationship business and well, I would say it is, but how we interact has changed. But there's still many ways to interact or have a relationship with, with those producers. You know, besides face-to-face -face, um, contact, we've got phone, we've got email, we've got text, we've got video con conferencing. We use all of those uh, to help stay in touch with our uh, producers. <clears throat> I would tell you as a side note, you know, there's been a lot of conversation that this virus may be responsible for accelerating the increased acceptance of online business. You know, it's not going to be just buying online anymore. Maybe grain contracting, technical support, you know, payments on accounts, and and the use of customer portals to, to do any type of interaction with, between us and the, and the uh, customer. You know, some some are going to go back to the old ways of doing business when this is over, but but some won't. So with all this going on, I guess the biggest impact to our business or our volumes, probably going to be related back to the commodity and livestock values that Director Chin mentioned a little bit ago. Uh, you know, we're going to see value shoppers as retailers, whether that's in the crops, the pasture, the hay, the cattle. Economics are going to drive it. We think we're also going to see some credit struggles. When you look at those values, the crop and livestock security may not be enough to co cover the input costs. So the, 
you know, we anticipate additional paperwork uh, necessary to secure, you know, equipment and our land security on, on some of those inputs. You know, one of the things, uh, Blake, that you'd asked to, to uh, talk about was product supply. And I guess when you look at product supply from a transportation standpoint, it's probably the, the first area to look at and probably the one that's going to have the most impact on us. Uh, the industry, they started with, uh, we started with this pandemic with a deficit of drivers already. That's going to be further challenged over the next month or so. You know, we've already experienced some outside carriers that have lost drivers to illnesses. Uh, we have the ability with the size we are to supplement uh, some of that with our internal trucks and drivers. We've also worked with CHS uh, up in Minnesota to bring some drivers down to assist, particularly with the NH3 delivery uh, during the crunch time that uh, we're going through now. Director Chen also mentioned some of the uh, uh, driver rules and uh, weights that were changed. And I guess as a company, I'd like to, to thank the the director of ag and also farm bureau and the work that uh, both of you did in in getting some of those rules and regulations relaxed uh, maybe some of the most painful pieces in the transportation in the state of missouri which relates to license renewals and training for hazmat and cdls that can be a little bit cumbersome uh, we're working through it you know with the state offices closed now you have to you have to leave a message and wait for them to call back so it's not always as timely as we'd like it to get uh, those workers on board and and, uh, and licensed in, in the rigs that we have. <clears throat> One thing I'd say about the supply MFA has or the products that we sell, you know, other than feed where we manufacture it, the rest of the the supply is a buy sell relationship which we have which we have with another vendor or supplier. So our concern has to lie with their ability to to deliver on our orders, and I would tell you, uh, I'll go through a couple of them here, but by and large, I think we, we as an industry feel pretty good at where we're at. You know, from the feed standpoint, when you look at um, some shortages or some challenges that are out there, uh, maybe from uh, amino acids and vitamins that come from China, we've seen a little tightness in that market, and unfortunately with that tightness, we've seen prices going up. Uh, from commodities that are, that are used in those feed blends uh, with the shutdown in some of the ethanol plants, there's uh, DDGs are a little bit tougher to get here recently and will probably get uh, harder to come by going forward. You know, we, like anybody else, have the ability to reformulate feed using different uh, or alternative ingredients, but that also is going to come probably at a higher uh, cost. Uh, soybean meal and cottonseed meal has, has gone up uh, quite a bit in the last uh, week or two. Um, animal health, we've not seen any, nor do we expect any big challenges. Crop protection, I would tell you, supply is good. The industry started with carryover from last year with all the wet weather and flooding and prevent plant uh, acres we had. So, you know, that was kind of a positive. Manufacturers feel like uh, they've got product in place to uh, to meet the needs during during the season. The one area I would say that is uh, is not true is in the generic glyphosate. Most of that uh, molecule comes from China, and uh, that generic glyphosate is, is uh, supply has been tight uh, the last few weeks. <clears throat> Plant foods, again, from our standpoint, and also producers, uh, uh, manufacturers. Everybody feels like the the demand or the product's going to be there to handle the demand. It's what we're going to see in the plant foods world is not going to be. It's going to be nothing that we haven't seen in previous years. Uh, if the season opens fast, it's a compressed season. There's always difficulty getting product uh, where we need it and when we need it in a, in a timely manner. But uh, from a rail and barge standpoint, uh, rail's been good. Barge. You know, river levels uh, are good right now. In fact, uh, we're in a better position than we were a year ago uh, for product supply there. <clears throat> if you look at the retail side, I would tell you, you know, that's where the bulk of the the work will get done with producers. Uh, it's all about keeping the staff healthy out there, whether that's drivers, applicators, technical staff. Uh, you know, we've had producers that said, hey, what happens if, if your, your store is infected? How do we get, can we get access to product? And I would tell you, one of the, one of the strengths that we have is the size of our system. You know, we can call in help from neighboring locations. Uh, we have sales staff that can, can move to a, a location and help with operations. And, you know, we can access product from, from different uh, uh, facilities if, if need be. 
The other thing that I may comment on is labor. I would tell you many probably expected the tightness in the labor market uh, would provide opportunities to fill some of these positions. Um, I would tell you we haven't seen that. Uh, the skill sets that we're looking for are mostly working in essential businesses now, so we've not seen a flood of quali qualified applicants, uh, even with the increased unemployment. So I guess uh, after that, I, guess I would uh, finish by saying um, a very high percentage of our employees take this, uh, this whole yeah. COVID-19 issue personal. They take the precautions they need to do take. They know that producers are counting on them and they're counting on MFA and other ag retailers around the state over the next 60 and 90 days, and they want to deliver. And knock on wood, you know, as an organization of 1,700 employees, we've been fortunate to this point. We've only had one, one case, one positive, and that individual had not been into any office or had any contact with, with any uh, individual inside the organization, organization over the last two weeks or the pr prior two weeks. So we've been fortunate, maybe lucky, but I guess I'd say then again, sometimes you create your own luck. So, Blake, that's all I have. Are you there? Yeah. Sorry, I forgot to hit my mute button. Uh, we've okay. got some questions in the queue, and uh, we'll start with Paul Hines from Higginsville. Paul, takes a minute to put your button, but we'll get you on. Yes, my question as a dairy farmer, we're milking 800 cows 24-7, 365. Um, we can't get half an hour or an hour behind schedule, and with the liberal unemployment rules, um, we're concerned about losing two, three, four, five employees and still be able to care for the cows. Now, we have hired additional people uh, with anticipation when people show up positive here, but um, our concern is, you know, we don't want people coming sick to work, of course, um, but the federal... The way you read it, it's pretty liberal whether you know you've had children that can stay home or you know that are not in childcare, all that. And we can apply for an exemption and there's uncertainty here how to maneuver through this. Any advice? And and still maintain staff and get the livestock taken care of. Paul, this is Chris Chen, and I, I understand your concern. When we first heard that, we, we were very concerned, just like you. In talking with the Department of Labor, Director Anna Hugh, um, she has dug into this. They daily receive new guidance from the U.S. Department of Labor on this. But what she has assured us is that if an employee quits, or is fired because there is a good reason to have been fired, they are not eligible for that new $600 weekly payment on top of the other unemployment payment. And there will be investigations from the U.S. Department of Labor to make sure that that rule is followed strictly. Um, so that it, they're trying to do that to make sure that we as a state do everything on our part to do our due diligence to make sure that people are not getting it when they should not be getting it. Um, we had a lot of other cabinet members who were also worried about that because they run 24-hour care facilities, um, whether that be Department of Corrections or Mental Health or the Veterans Commission, because the way they were figuring it, it looked like people could make almost $22 an hour to sit at home, and so they were really fearful that they would just quit coming to work, get fired, and be able to collect that. Um, so the way it's going to be set up is they might quit, but they're going to find out real quick that they're not going to be eligible to get a free $600 payment every week. Um, so hopefully they're going to be getting that word out on the Department of Labor's website soon. Um, just to let you kind of know, they went from um, Monday of last week, they had 60,000 phone calls come in about this. And the very next day, they had 100,000 phone calls come in. And so we have been working um, across state departments to help them 
um, man their call center and to get a chat bot up where people can type in their questions to get answers as well. Um, as far as that daycare portion that you're talking about, I'm not real familiar with that, but I think that you are probably small enough that you would fall under the exemption for that, but that would be a question we would have to find out through Department of Labor. And if you would like for us to reach out to them, I would be happy to do that. Um, I think we have your email address here that we can send you an email to get further clarification for you on that daycare portion. All right. Thank you, Chris. Um, our next question is, um, excuse me, our next question is uh, Donald Knoll from Worth County, and we'll, uh, we'll connect you up, Donald. Uh, yeah, uh, I was wondering about the dumping of milk. Why, why are they not processing that into cheese or butter? Uh, I used to milk cows, and just dumping milk doesn't, uh, doesn't make any sense to me when you can do other things with it. Yeah, that's a really good question, and we had that question here at the department as well. And what we've learned is with all the restaurants and the schools being closed right now, consumption of cheese and butter has dropped drastically. Um, there have been five cheese processors that have closed since all of the restaurants have shut down because they're just not purchasing cheese. One of them supplied directly to the Pizza Hut restaurant chains. Um, and so that's why we have about 10% more fluid milk out there than we normally do, and it happened overnight, just because people are now staying at home and they're not eating out and they're not at school, the kids aren't. And so that's been a huge drop. And um, the mozzarella cheese, they can't really store that very well. It doesn't freeze well. They can make some cheddar, but right now they have enough cheddar um, made and that they can't store anymore is what we're being told. So that's been the biggest challenge. All right. Thank you, Donald. Uh, next question is Tony Harbison from Iron County. We can get Tony connected. Yeah, this is to uh, Dr. Williams. <clears throat> Tony Harbison, Iron County. We live in southeast Missouri. Normally, we, we would have a ton of uh, hunters. We have over 100,000 acres here in the Ozarks, just in Iron County. A ton of hunters from St. Louis, Illinois, and other areas. Uh, <clears throat> starting next Monday at the beginning of turkey season, uh, Dr. Williams, if you're still with us, do you feel at this time we should talk to uh, MDC and see if they would close turkey season this year uh, due to the circumstances? I, on a normal year, I would love to have them down here, but under the circumstances and where the most infections are, I feel it's not out of the question to ask them to do to do so. Thank you for the question. We actually talked about that uh, the other day, about turkey hunting. Um, you know, uh, our, our, our point was that, I mean, if you're a turkey hunter, you better be practicing social distancing or you're not going to be a very successful turkey hunter. Um, so my answer would be no. I think, you know, to get outdoors as long as you're not around other people is a reasonable thing. Um, so if they're just simply driving from St. Louis, going turkey hunting and and not engaging with other people, uh, we would not uh, think that was uh, anything that we would tell them not to do. Now, I guess I'm reading into your question, are they, you know, stopping to, uh, you know, buy things and do things? Is that is that where your question's headed? He may no longer be on the line, Dr. Williams. You may, may have to just uh, assume that that's what he's asking. Yeah, I mean, I think that to your point, if you're leaving a place where where um, half our cases are, I would just want to make sure those people have taken their temperature and make sure they don't have a fever, make sure they don't have a cough. Uh, and I think if they if they don't have a fever and they don't have a cough and they're not going to be around other people, you know, it's not like they're going to be in a stand together, um, uh, then I would think that, that would be okay. All right, our next question is uh, Dean Brookshire from up at Livingston County, uh, and so we'll connect Dean up for his question. Uh, yeah, Dean Brookshire from Chillicothe. Uh question is for Chris Chen. Chris, uh, 
you were talking about the various uh, packing plants. You mentioned the JBS plant up in Grand Island, Nebraska. We sell quite a bit of cattle there. Did you, I know I've read they've had uh, some issues there with uh, some employees testing positive. Did you say the plant is currently closed or open? No, I think it's open right now. Um, we haven't received word that they're closed, but I think they have done extra sanitation um, at that facility to make sure that they can prevent, um, you know, make sure all the other employees are, are safe. I think it has slowed down their processing line, though, because of that, because of having 10 people out um, and, and the quarantining that they're probably doing. I think they are at a reduced speed of, of being able to process the animals. Okay, kind of a follow-up to that, is, is there any type of contingency, you know, we all know what happened, uh, you know, last fall when the Tyson plant uh, caught on fire out in Holcomb, Kansas, and of course the cattle futures are going every which way now, is there any type of contingency if these, you know, packing plants or any, any type of food manufacturing facility if they start closing? You know, those operate at a very high capacity, and like you pointed out, when we saw that we lost one last year to a fire, we saw what the down downturn of that was. And so I hate to say it, but I, I really feel like that will be the same thing if it happens um, now that we have to shut down a plant because of COVID-19. I think we're going to see the same fallout as what we saw happen with the Tyson fire. Um, and, and it's very unfortunate, but they, they run those plants at the highest capacity that they can, and there's just no wiggle room. All right. Thank you, Chris, and uh, thank you, Dean. Our next question is from uh, Keith Baxter down in Greene County. Uh, we'll get Keith hooked up. Uh, yeah, Director Chen, uh, kind of to go around the other way, I mean, I've been, the cattle industry as a whole, we've, we've kind of been taking it on the chin even before this virus hit the continental U.S. when it, when it was full bloat in China, we were starting to take it on the chin as far as, as the markets were or the futures were concerned. And of course, as a producer, you know, I'm watching the box beef price index continue to rise and, you know, and the consumption to continue to be strong. Of course, now apparently we've got a new equation thrown in there with, with capacity being limited, but I was wondering if the department had any plans uh, to <clears throat> keep their eye on, you know, as far as making sure that that the playing field is being kept as level and fair from farm to table as possible. Yes, we are keeping our eye on that, and we are in constant contact with U.S. Department of Agriculture. They are actually the regulatory body over that, and um, we are on weekly phone calls, it feels like, with them right now with other directors and commissioners and secretaries of agriculture, and this is a concern that we have all expressed to the USDA, and they have told us that they are watching it, and they are aware, and they are looking into it, so it is something that um, USDA is very aware of, and they are looking into it. All right. Thank you, uh, Chris, and thank you, Keith. Our next question uh, is Bruce Mershon from Jackson County. Bruce? Thank you, Blake, and uh, thank you, Chris, for joining us tonight. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna keep uh, pounding on the same subject. My my question is: Have we sent requests to President Trump or Secretary Perdue from Blake or President Duvall or from you, Chris, personally, to uh, supplement the ability to keep these harvest plants or these protein products running? What are we doing as a federal, at the federal level and the state level to keep making sure that there's enough people keeping these plants running? If we don't keep the plants running, we've already seen that we have huge negative margins for our cow-calf producers in the state of Missouri, and how do we keep these plants running to bring the markets back into full force? Yeah, you know, that is something that we have discussed, and 
we all know how important that workforce is and that's how important it is for them to remain healthy, um, but we don't want sick people coming to work. But I think that was why you saw a lot of the agriculture organizations pressing so hard for that H-2A um, to be able to get more people over here to work in case we had something like that happen. Um, it is something that we've been talking a lot about um, with other state departments of agriculture as well. That's why you saw a lot of the processing facilities as early back in March 12th, 13th timeframe. They had already started implementing screening of their employees at that time um, for temperature, and they'd asked them the questions, have they been around somebody who was sick, have they been sick, to try and keep any employees out who might be ill. So it is definitely something that they're looking into. Um, I know that they're all trying to hire as many additional employees as they can at this point in time for people who are laid off. Um, they're trying to make sure that they can bring on new team members, get them trained up for in the event that they have, you know, a large amount of people that get sick and have to, to stay home for a couple of weeks. We've, uh, I know uh, President Duvall has been in touch with Secretary Purdue on this issue. Uh, and, and, and the, I guess the corollary to that is several people have asked about it and several people in the queue are asking about it. Uh, I was on the phone today with the chief economist at American Farm Bureau. He's, uh, actually had calls today scheduled with both the, uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission and the CME. So, uh, talking about, uh, market, uh, you know, what's happening with the, to go to Keith's question, what's happening with the difference between live prices and what we're seeing in box bright beef prices. So, uh, we keep, we keep hammering on them about this and, uh, it's really a difficult question, but I think that, uh, uh, we're going to continue to keep talking about it now and it's also something we'll want to look into, uh, when this, when this, uh, ends as well. All right. We have, uh, a question from, uh, from, uh, Gary Hamilton from Pike County. Mr. Hamilton still there? Yeah, sorry, I forgot to unmute. I'm sorry. Um, as an ag retailer, I was scheduled to do dicamba training uh, so I could, you know, legally spray dicamba in the state, and they've canceled all that. And with everything drying up, it's really hard to find two hours to sit online and take their training. Is the state willing to forgive that to ag retailers this year if they took it the year before to – be able to spray the dicamba. That is actually an EPA regulation that is a part of the label for those products for the oxen herbicides. And so it's beyond our control to be able to forgive that for a year because that is a federal label requirement. All but right, it is still you. available online. Thank you, Chris. Uh, We'll take one more question for our presenters. Uh, we have one from Warren Stemmy, and we'll, we'll uh, Farm Bureau will stay on the line as long as you'd like after that and answer any questions you have, but I want to want to be respectful of our, our speaker's time. But we do have a question from Warren Stemmy, and uh, I have a feeling it may be one that uh, Dr. Williams may want to answer. So, Warren Stemmy? Thank you, Blake. I uh, appreciate you putting this together and think all of your organizations and your speakers have um, provided good information and really done a lot of work here in a short period of time. I guess my thought is um, Dr. Williams was talking about hopefully seeing a peak in two to three weeks, but um, I think we should be prepared um, for a longer-term event than um, we're kind of thinking about. I know the president has been saying He's hopeful to open some things up by the end of the month here, but I think that's wishful thinking. So I just wanted to hear any comments from any of the speakers about um, are they thinking longer term here than just a month or two? Uh, Dr. Williams, are you still on the line? We'll let you lead off. You may have left. 
All right, Chris or Ernie, do you have any response to that question? <laughs> hey, Blake. So we are having daily conference calls with the um, cabinet, and this has been a topic of discussion is what happens if this does continue on to be longer. While we're all hopeful that it is going to peak in the next two to three weeks, um, we are looking at what if. But um, that is why you saw the governor make the change that he made last week by doing the stay-at-home Missouri order, trying to make sure that we're doing everything possible to slow that spread and to make sure that we do peak as soon as we possibly can. Um, the good news is, is that, like Randall said, we are pretty much seeing most of our cases in that St. Louis region area. So that is a positive. We did have quite a few cases at first over on the Kansas City side, but that has slowed down. Um, you, many of the cities in the state, they um, Kansas City, St. Louis, Columbia, Springfield, they were very early in doing the stay-at-home orders as well. So we're hopeful that that's going to have an impact too. Um, but we are starting to to see that um, vehicle and transportation travel all across the state is down 42%. So that is telling us some good information that people are taking this seriously and they are staying at home. And so that's what gives us the hope that we are going to be able to slow this spread of this virus and make sure that hopefully we do peak in that two-week period and people can get back to their normal lives sooner. Yeah, this is Randall. I'm sorry, I knocked myself off the phone. Uh, I want to hear what Chris had to say. So, but anyway, Randall. Uh, yeah. So I'm back. So yes, uh, the scenario we give, we're in late April, we're on the other side of the curve, is is the best case scenario. There's no doubt about it. Um, but we're again hoping to avoid kind of the Chicago, Detroit, New Orleans type of experience, especially in St. Louis. Uh, but on the other hand. We hope with warm weather uh, that will make a difference. There's some uh, evidence that it might. But one thing we haven't touched on is if it's like the uh, Spanish flu in 2018-17, we certainly could see a rebound next November and December. There won't be a vaccine available, and there won't be that much immunity built up. So I don't want to present a scenario in which by mid-May this is completely gone and it's in our rearview mirror. Uh, I think if we're fortunate enough that we get to the summer and and, and and June and July and August are okay, we still have to be prepared for what November and December may bring. And now on that happy note, I will uh, say thank you to our speakers. Uh, a tremendous job done by all three of you, uh, both in your presentations and answering questions. And uh, we are very, very grateful that you spent the time with us. I think it's been useful for everybody on the call. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, all Thanks, right. Uh, you bet. Thank you. Spencer Tuma from our staff is going to talk a little bit about the CARES Act. So we'll turn it over to Spencer. Okay. Thanks, Blake. I appreciate the opportunity. Good evening, everybody. I'll keep my remarks really brief because I know there may be some questions about the legislation that Congress did just pass. Uh, so Congress did pass and the President signed the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act, on Friday, March 27th. So it was uh, just a little over a week ago. Uh, just some highlights from the bill. It's about a $2 trillion spending package overall. And that's, of course, intended to stimulate economies. Uh, from an ag perspective, there are a lot of things in this bill. It's almost a 1,000 pages long, so I'm just going to keep it to ag-specific provisions. Um, USDA did receive about $25 billion to provide assistance to farmers and ranchers impacted by COVID-19. That's um, distributed through two separate funds. The first is $14 billion to USDA's Commodity Credit Corporation. Uh, some of you may remember that the Commodity Cor Credit Corporation is the fund that was used to fund the market facilitation program uh, and also uh, fund several farm bill programs like ARC and PLC. Uh, it's unlikely that the funds will be distributed, at least from what I can gather, as a MFP payment. It will likely be a different program, uh, but we do not have clarification from USDA at this 
on whether or not the situation surrounding international trade may warrant another round of MSP. Uh, there was an additional $9.5 billion to USDA's more general fund, and that was specified to assist farmers and ranchers in the livestock, dairy, specialty crop, and local food systems industries. Uh, so while that money has been designated for those particular commodities, we don't have any guidance from USDA at this time how that's going to be spent. Uh, all of the state farm bureaus, including Missouri Farm Bureau, worked with American Farm Bureau to send a letter to USDA Secretary Purdue on Friday. It was a really lengthy letter, about six pages long, and that detailed uh, all of the different sectors of agriculture, and it was a very long list of uh, issues that we're seeing that uh, would rise to the federal level. A couple of quick highlights from that, uh, particularly highlighting assistance for the cattle and hog industries, dairy, ethanol, and cotton. Um, Missouri Farm Bureau also signed on to a letter with 25 other state farm bureaus. I know we've had some questions on this call about uh, the recent volatility in the cattle markets. Missouri Farm Bureau did sign on to a letter with other states to address that. We've been on several calls with USDA. Um, and I'm sure Director Chin can relate to that as well, but uh, we are hoping to maybe see guidance from USDA on how some of this money is going to be spent uh, tomorrow or the next day. They had hoped to have that out by the end of last week, uh, but it was a very short turnaround after the bill was passed because, of course, the USDA is in the executive branch of government and Congress is the legislative branch. They couldn't begin any work on these programs until the legislation was actually passed and signed. The bill also provided uh, $349 billion through the Small Business Administration and what's called the Paycheck Protection Program. And I wanted to highlight that this evening because agricultural enterprises and businesses are eligible uh, as long as you have less than 500 employees. Uh, these uh, Paycheck Protection Program is designed to provide loans to assist in providing payroll, providing insurance benefits to employees, uh, and paying facility mortgage or rent. Um, and as long as you maintain your staff and pay them throughout that program, there are a few other provisions, those loans should be forgivable, so they're actually a little bit more like grants. Uh, you can access those funds through any um, existing SBA 7A lender. Um, so definitely, if you're interested in that program, I would recommend you reach out to a lender that you trust and try to get that paperwork completed. Applications for that opened on April 3rd and will be awarded on a first-come, first-served basis. We are uh, sending out a lot of information about this bill uh, as information comes available to us. I am not exaggerating when I say sometimes things are literally changing by the hour. Um, certainly day by day, we're receiving a lot more information. We're trying to push that information out in avenues such as this call, our weekly newsletter, uh, and our social media channels. Congress has recessed for the next couple of weeks uh, until at least April 20th, but we are already hearing that there could be a phase four agreement in the works that focuses on infrastructure. Uh, we continue to try to highlight the priorities of Missouri Farm Bureau members throughout those discussions. I would just echo um, Director Chin's comments, and I know that myself and other staff members are going to be available here to answer questions, but uh, it is so, so critically important for you all to let us know when issues are arising in your local community or in your region. Uh, we are literally just keeping a list of things that people bring to our attention. You all are our eyes and ears out there, um, and it's really important that we get that information to our congressional delegation and the USDA uh, so that we can hopefully get those problems addressed. So. Uh, with that, I will close my remarks. I'd be happy to take any questions and answer them to the best of my ability uh, and look forward to the time when we can see each other in person again. All right. Thank you, uh, Spencer. Um, a couple of things I would mention. We uh, adopted policy this year in December uh, having to do with uh, reciprocity across state lines for um, medical personnel, and uh, the governor has uh, done that with an executive order and also uh, lengthened the uh, distance that uh, uh, that physicians assistants and, and the like that work under the under the uh, supervision of a doctor can can be from their supervising doctor which is a big help for rural areas both those are in our policy we're uh, happy to see that has happened we got 
have had a couple of calls today uh, with concerns about the dairy industry, uh, specifically about uh, the Dean uh, Dean Foods and their their bankruptcy and the purchase of a lot of their uh, facilities by DFA. And so we'll be uh, we'll be visiting uh, uh, with DFA about that in the next few days to try to get uh, some idea of what's in the future and how how it might affect markets. I know a lot of a lot of our dairy farmers um, are, are are dealing with both DFA and other other uh, other co-ops, and there's just a lot of uh, shaking up going on in that market and a lot of concern. And so we'll try to try to do what we can to uh, express those concerns to, to everybody in the market. Um, I don't know that I have any other questions uh, on the on the queue, um, but if anybody, all this, all the Farm Bureau staff, the legislative team is on the line. Uh, if anybody has any uh, questions, please uh, please let us know, and we'll get you on get you on the call. Blake, if I might add just a couple of things, I apologize. Um, in some non-ag related provisions of the CARES Act, uh, we did see some additional funding for our rural hospitals. You mentioned some of the actions the governor has taken on rural health care. Uh, we've continued to see that our rural hospitals literally are serving on the front lines in our local communities trying to combat this virus. So um, there were some funds included in this bill to assist rural and critical access hospitals. Um, so we're hoping to get those funds distributed as we have uh, been in contact also. Yeah, we've been in contact also with the uh, Rural Development Association and Jeff Kate or uh, Jeff Case and in his team over there. Uh, we've actually already gotten some relief for hospitals that have loans with the RDA, which actually, as it turns out, is quite a few of our our rural hospitals uh, have either built new facilities or or uh, improved the ones they have with uh, USDA loans. So they've been very very. Uh, very, very helpful. If you have a question, uh, press zero, or we're not we're not going to know it. So please press zero, and we'll try to get you in the queue. Any other uh, Farm Bureau staff members that'd like to pitch in now and have have a comment they'd like to make uh, while we wait to see if there are any more questions? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we really don't under. Or I guess what you're saying is we really don't understand how, through the CARES Act, the uh, USDA is going to distribute these funds back out to us yet. Is that what, what I'm understanding? <laughs> yeah, I'll let Spencer tackle that one. Yes. Well, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I hate to laugh, but you are correct. Um, we are communicating daily with USDA about how we would like that money to be spent. Obviously, we want it directed to all agricultural commodities. Uh, we want it quickly. At this time, we have information about how that's going to be distributed. Uh, I think the secretary's made it clear. A lot of us thought there might be another uh, MLT program. Uh, he has expressed some reluctance, uh, and Spencer will correct me if I'm wrong, but he's expressed some reluctance. Uh, to do it exactly as they've done in the past, it's, according to him, uh, this is a different situation than than the one we saw with trade that uh, brought about the first two MLP programs. So, so that was certainly on our list and on the list uh, that we got from a lot of members. We had a lot of conversations with people that would have been perfectly happy to see that uh, program repeated. Um, I think the good news. Uh, from that discussion is that any further program will certainly have cattle producers uh, included, which the MLP did not. So, so it may be that uh, for for all of our members, uh, a new program may be a good idea, but we have no idea what it's going to be. Uh, any other questions? All right, we got one more. Eric said, so Eric, let's uh, let's go. Yeah, this is for Spencer. This is Mindy Bride. Um, there's been some confusing news information put out about the stimulus and dependents. What is the age cutoff, or can you address that? Um, Mindy, I do not know off the top of my head. I would assume that it would follow the um, 
guidelines that the IRS is following for your tax returns because that would um, that that would that's a federal agency going to that program. Um, but I will confirm that and I'll get back in touch with you because I don't know that first. All right, thank you, Mindy. Any other questions? Please press zero. Okay, uh, I appreciate everybody's time, and uh, again, want to thank our speakers for the uh, information they uh, brought to the table, and I think it's been a useful way to spend an hour. Uh, I would uh, just say good luck with your planting. We're getting ready to uh, go here in northwest Missouri. It's, it's dry enough to be in the fields, and people are running fertilizer, running a lot of anhydrous. Uh, I did ask uh, whether... Uh, you know, if you inhale a certain amount of anhydrous, where you're protected against the uh, coronavirus. And so far, I have not received a good answer, but I'm still hoping to hear. Uh, so, so have a safe spring, stay safe, pay attention uh, to the rules, and we'll all get through this together. So, again, thank you very much for being on the call, and uh, we look forward to being able to see you in person soon.